0: Welcome to the Gritty Connection Hour. This is your host, the Ranger of Danger. What
1: the fuck are you doing?
0: Sorry, wrong show. Nope, nothing. What? You want a mulligan? You want to try it again? Yeah, let's go with that. Welcome back to the knack attack like Robert Savage. I'm your host hitting you from those digital waves.
1: Are you trying something new, man? You trying something new here? He produced a movie called Host about
0: demons coming through your computer, like a podcast.
1: I thought it was Zoom.
0: Maybe. I don't know.
1: So, I'm kind of like, I'm confused and concerned about your state of mind right now. What's going on? Are we going to talk about a topical movie this episode? That's what I want to know.
0: I'm hip now. New year, new me. It's May. Yeah, exactly. The only new year I celebrate is May Day.
1: All right, go ahead. Get this rolling, bud. All right,
0: sorry. I'm all fired up. You know why I'm fired up? Because
1: we're doing the podcast. I got it. Go ahead. We
0: are doing more than a podcast. We're diving in on foraging and why we're so fucked. I
1: was depressing. It's Sunday night and I don't need any help getting depressed. I had the Sunday blues all day and I just been like kind of bummed that I got to go to sleep and go to work like I don't.
0: Well, guess what? This is like the Super Bowl of Sundays. Like it just it's the power hour of just being fucking miserable. We're talking about foraging in the United States.
1: So rich people didn't want poor people to eat food that they couldn't charge them for, and the government made it happen.
0: The end. I mean, you're not wrong, but it's actually like even more sinister.
1: Like the queen is secretly dead, and they're hiding it because they don't want the internet trolls commenting on her obituary. Nice. Because she ruled for 69 years. Nice. Yeah, like that.
0: Okay, I think this beats 69.
1: You mean years, right? Sure. So,
0: let's start our story in the pristine, egalitarian paradise of colonial New England, a bastion of free thought and solidarity across race, gender, and ethnicity.
1: (laughs) You described, what, province town, and that's pretty much it for New England, but okay.
0: Yeah, I was wondering what you'd say, but really there were some perks, like the ability to forage foods. Up and including the period of independence, American colonists enjoyed broad foraging rights, not just in the commons, but even on each other's private lands.
1: So if you had some delicious like nettles on the edge of your driveway or near your mailbox, they were up for grabs? If you
0: had good food sitting at the edge of your driveway, no, you didn't. At least two states in the 18th century explicitly offered constitutional protections of a person's right to enter private property. the purposes of hunting and fishing, which at the time were basically treated the same as foraging. Other states offered similar protections. Foraging, oftentimes on others' property, was an important means for ensuring that colonists had an adequate food supply. Of course, that changed as industrial agriculture continued to expand.
1: Okay, as they needed it less, it became something people were less concerned about protecting.
0: Yeah, for specific groups, kind of. You know, there's a bunch to this and we're going to unpack it like a suitcase back from someplace filled with COVID. So in the South, African-American slaves subsisted in part by foraging on unoccupied lands, a practice that would later come under systemic attack after the Civil War.
1: I I guess that's shocking because I still don't know what CRT is, but I'm just going to throw out like a trigger warning or something if you're fragile but not a snowflake.
0: Yeah, I know, right? So we're going to talk more about that a little later, but I want to back up even further. Around independence, American law embraced, in quote, the liberty of citizens generally to use the open countryside, end quote, suggesting that the power to exclude wild food gatherers from private property was basically non-existent, and the early court cases show that this was held up repeatedly. That said, foragers couldn't literally do whatever they wanted For example, although early American property laws allowed foragers to forage on those unimproved lands, this right didn't extend to what you might call improved lands, including things like croplands, vineyards, and orchards. Now, despite these protections for the foragers, the practice slowly waned as Americans moved away from the countryside and into cities and suburbs.
1: Ah, yes, industrialism, which led to only bigger and better things and more of them and nothing else.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why you would want to complain. I mean, you're sitting on a beautiful chair that was designed to break in like five years, but it only costs 60 bucks. Like, think about all the things you get to throw away because of industrialism.
1: Yeah, I guess that's why I don't have any kids. It's generally frowned upon to pay $60 for them and then throw them away when they get broken after five years of moderate to heavy use.
0: Yeah, much like Trump's piss pants, nothing truly disappears.
1: Wait, who's piss pants?
0: The orange president. I mean, the other one probably also has piss pants, but people don't make fun of it as much, I guess.
1: It depends. But um, tss. yeah, got him. That's how you do it. Got him. You set him up, I'll knock him down, buddy.
0: Yeah, the one-two punch. All right, so let's talk about the birth of these anti-foraging laws that explicitly started taking down the protections that foragers had. Unsurprisingly, many of these laws were grounded in classic American ideals, Racism, classism, colonialism, imperialism, or sometimes when you're lucky, all of the above.
1: Of course. So let me guess, it stemmed from control over a marginalized population that the state was trying to ism all over.
0: Yeah, the state and its isms. It really loves a good ism. So Native American tribes were probably the earliest victims of anti-foraging laws put in place in North America. Shortly after the English settlers had landed in the New World, they began pushing Native American tribes off their traditional hunting and foraging grounds. As more and more of these white settlers arrived in America over generations, the foraging practices of many Native Americans, or specifically their status as hunter-gatherers, as opposed to agricultural practitioners, or the way we think of agricultural practitioners today, was used to justify driving them from lands they had historically occupied.
1: I gravely misspoke and I apologize. I said marginalized population. What I meant to say was genocided. Yeah. Are you really going to teach this to your kids because it sounds dangerous? I teach them everything. They, they're they both six and
0: four and I have them out with a shotgun every day.
1: Solid, I guess. <laughs>
0: um, I'm kidding. Don't. <laughs> do not contact the local government I did not actually do that it's the, a joke internet they
1: are wearing eye and ear protection yeah
0: <laughs> let's go with that
1: yeah I, I I will say it is amazing and it never it's not amazing it's horrifying I'll use horrifying yeah that's
0: those words are a little different
1: yeah it is different it is different because it, it's kind of like shock and awe
0: are we talking about my kids still or are we talking about something else I'm
1: trying I'm trying to segue back into the episode okay I was trying to say that greedy people do the exact same thing over and over again, and they seem to like make rules so that they get away with it.
0: Yeah, it's amazing when you can write the rules, how you can design it exactly so you don't explicitly get impacted by them. And like, let's be honest, white people only have like one move. Like, it's not just something we say about us on the dance floor. Hey there, it's me, Crazy Norm, down at Normal Norm's Nut Emporium on John Brown Drive. We're going nuts for nuts in Nutty November. We've got big nuts, small nuts, chestnuts, ground nuts, nut butter, buttery nuts, nut milk, milky nuts, nut cream, creamy nuts, and the, for the late night crowd, chocolate-covered CBD, deep-fried nuts. Want to join the nuts extravaganza? Nut up and join the nut posse. Join other members and get your sack of nuts pounded for free whenever you come in and make the creamiest nut milk you've ever had in your own kitchen. Crazy Norms Nut Emporium, 420 John Brown Drive, or online at 4prols.com.
1: I have seen you dance, and it's like watching the video of the grape lady. It's kind of fun. It is,
0: though. Painful, painful, though. Painful. I have, like, no moves, like, no game.
1: Your dance moves remind me of trying to, like, watch a possum play bocce.
0: But to be fair, I can play bocce because, like, deep down in my soul of souls, I'm an 80 year old Italian man that's drinking, like, grappa and yelling about somebody planting their tomatoes wrong.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what his dance moves are like. Like he just does gardening stuff like on the dance floor. If you can just picture that. That's why I was trying to think of like a possum picking something up or something.
0: I don't know why possum. Just like me yelling like where the hose at, but I mean like the actual hose. Yes. Yep. Where my hose at.
1: And people think he's doing the fishing thing and he's really just reeling in the hose like it's uh, it's bad.
0: I'm really tightening like my lines for my my uh, my grape trellises? That's me. Sad. So, yeah, what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So, anti-foraging. So, after the Civil War, plantation owners busted out their pony. You get it, Elliot? One-trick pony?
1: Yeah. I wish I had a bocce ball to throw at you. Still thinking about bocce and possums. It's funny.
0: Just making sure. So, they broke out Penelope and- Penelope?
1: I don't know. It seems like a horse name. Have you ever met a horse? Like in passing
0: or... Yeah,
1: like spent time with a horse and like pet it and shit.
0: Yes, Elliot. I've seen a horse and pet it and heard horse names. Okay, so what Melope about... he just like felt good.
1: So what about the pony's name then? Penelope, you mean? Anyways. I I'm sorry, everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I just <laughs> broke Elliot. It's amazing. I love it. I could do this every week. It's the only reason I have a podcast is so that I can see... The life gets sucked out of Elliot's eyes. He gets when I make me every time. The worst puns on the earth.
1: Oh, there's still time.
0: There's still time. There is still time. Anyways, so these bastions of class and empathy moved forcefully and systematically to restrict the foraging rights and practices of newly freed African American slaves because freedom. Many of the slaves freed after the Civil War really wanted to leave farm work and, like, very justifiably and as well as the farmers that they had been enslaved by behind.
1: To be fair, I would probably have done the same thing. Like if I never saw a farm again, I'd probably be okay with it at that point.
0: Right? So as they had before the Civil War, freed slaves had earned money by selling foods they foraged and hunted. In addition to income, foraging provided a lot of African Americans with some degree of self-sufficiency and self-determination.
1: Can't have that in America without paying someone. So what gives?
0: Yeah, so that was way too equitable for the land of the free. Southern states zeroed in on practices that would allow these freed slaves to be really actually free by restricting access to foraging through the enactment of criminal trespass laws. Anti-foraging sentiment continued through the targeted attacks by the rich with things like comics and news stories in the decades following the Civil War. This sounds like a story we've talked about already, Elliot, doesn't it?
1: It does sound familiar.
0: I don't know where I've heard of this, this idea that the rich Democrats who own the newspapers used it for very explicitly racist reasons in the South to stop other people from accessing things. Any thoughts?
1: Was it prohibition?
0: It was prohibition. The ambition of the prohibition. I wasn't
1: sure if that was the one you were getting at. I was like, I feel like we've touched on that before. <laughs> <somewhere.">
0: <laughs> there, there's a few of these examples. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that episode just came out, so yeah, it's a nice one-two punch from us on fucking the southern states and the antebellum period.
1: I'm just realizing that now, and I don't, did we do that on purpose?
0: No, we didn't, it was total coincidence. I don't think
1: we were writing it, we just realized it now, so.
0: So congratulations, you're there with us. Good
1: job, us.
0: Good job, it's like we know what we're doing sometimes.
1: Yeah, I I am amazed and horrified. The amount of times that I
0: hear things and I'm like, wow, that sounds like I put a lot more thought into the organization of that than I actually did. is just like mind blowing. It blows me away every time it happens. So anyways, they use these things like news stories to marginalize African Americans into building support against things like foraging. Now, unfortunately, folks like the Native American tribes in these areas often got caught in the crossfire against the freed slaves and also found their previous foraging practices soon to become illegal.
1: Okay, so they sort of doubled up and got two birds stoned at once, like a wise Ricky once said. Two
0: fucking birds stoned
1: at once. Yeah, that's the <laughs> trick. You got to do it. You got to do it at one time, Andy.
0: Yeah, you got a Trailer Park Boys reference if you do not know it, because it's a good show. Actually, shout out to Trailer Park Comrades on Instagram if you want to learn more about farming and the Trailer Park Boys. Yeah, yeah. Go visit him because he does cool shit. Now, for the indigenous people, it was not just this, this very explicit anti-foraging stuff, but further, the government made the effort to make foraging illegal for many of them through the treaties that they had signed with the United States government. Surprise!
1: Wait, so you're telling me the United States didn't provide a clear and thorough explanation of how they were going to screw over indigenous tribes and have them agree to it?
0: Yeah, I was shocked too when I found out. That did not sound like the America that I was raised, born and love. So further, when challenged on these laws and treaties, the United States Supreme Court and other federal courts historically sided with expansionist federal government efforts to limit the land rights, including specifically foraging rights, of Native Americans. Property laws that allowed private landowners to bar foragers continued to spread until they were, by the mid-1900s, the norm nationwide.
1: Now, were these laws explicitly against black people and like Native Americans, or did they cast a wider net and try to get more people in there? Yeah,
0: you already know the answer to that question. While that may not have been the intent, rural white farmers also felt the sting of these laws. For example, foraging for like ginseng and berries and herbs and whatever wild plants they did forage for, along with hunting— that helped form the basis of their economy and the food stores for most of these rural white subsistence farmers living across the country. But wait, there's more.
1: The fuck is this an infomercial? It sounds like they got poor people and like everybody else. Who, who else did they get?
0: Listen, I am the MyPillow guy. I should know his name with how much he's in the news, but I don't. Anyways, for only 19.99, you can find out more about how the government has fucked you. Visit PoorProlls.com.
1: Is it is it weird that i don't i I don't want to pay money to know?
0: <laughs> Should I just hit stop recording? I'd rather
1: not know. I'd rather not know.
0: Why don't you steal it?
1: so there's no price for it if you steal it and don't get caught. Are we stealing? Did we get the crime?
0: You're stealing your own podcast? Yes, so don't worry about it anyways um in the eighteen eighties New York state's quote unquote conservation movement began to basically upend the traditional practices of many of the farmers who also were foragers in the region. The push to, quote-unquote, protect land in this region came from not these farmers, but rather outside elites who sought to protect the land from its own residents.
1: So you say outside elites. What were they elite at? Was it getting other people to do hard labor and stuff and then calling them lazy, or...?
0: Yeah, man, I got a shock for you. Ready? Yes. They're white.
1: It's rich white people actually- again.
0: But actually, I don't really have the time to do this story full justice, but it's actually an interesting, I don't want to say the word story again, but I guess story, about protection of capital under the guise of conservation. Basically, after massive logging decimated regions near what became the Adirondack Park, the solution of public figures and environmentalists was that no one could touch the land to protect the Erie Canal which was getting impacted by the massive logging happening and was also vital to New York's economy.
1: So they cut down all the trees, fucked up the ecology around the Erie Canal, and then said nobody can go over there. We're going to protect it to keep the shipping channel. And did I sum that up pretty good?
0: Yeah, you did. That was perfect. Basically, they said, listen, the problem here isn't the logging. It's that fucking asshole over there picking nettles next to that stump. Fuck that guy. He destroyed your forests.
1: Oh. And
0: everyone was like, Yeah, that makes sense. That's
1: so sly.
0: Yeah, right. You gotta hand it to them. They really knew how to do it.
1: Yeah. So did they did they do the thing where they had like permits or admission like for certain people who could pay for the permits and stuff? And then like if you don't do it, the fine is like super steep.
0: In terms of Adirondack Park, I'm going to sidebar that for now because it is an interesting story, but you're going to have to go do that research on your own, or maybe someday we'll cover it. But um, what you're talking about is something that then goes into practice basically across the country. And this was really the first drop in a series of moves that ultimately led to restrict both hunting and foraging in the region more broadly and was codified in the creation in the 1890s of the Adirondack Park. There's a quote that I've seen like floating around on the internet. All of the citations I've seen really don't seem to tie an actual person to it, so I'm not really sure how legitimate it is. But supposedly this came about in large part from, in quote, a distrust of the inhabitants of the countryside, particularly the small scale farmers who made up the bulk of the residents in places like the Adirondacks, end quote.
1: So it sounds like the first keyboard warrior, like some fishless schmuck said this or wrote it somewhere, but- Some fucking neckbeard? Yeah, he wouldn't say this to the people he was screwing over, though, if he was standing face to face with them, right? Probably. So these elitist
0: outsiders viewed the region's residents as primitives with quote-unquote slovenly husbandry skills who lacked the foresight and expertise necessary to be wise stewards of the natural world, end quote. And this basically frames up modern anti-foraging laws, which we're going to dig into further, and you are going to hate me.
1: So they said the people who live here don't know how to do this shit, so we got to make laws to protect the land? Yep. Laws are so great. They keep us so safe from crime and mayhem.
0: Yeah, every time someone tries to jack my car, I say, dude, that's illegal. And they say, oh shit, you're right. I forgot. Sorry. And they walk away.
1: That's never happened to you.
0: I've had my car broken into, but no, I have not actually been carjacked. So unsurprisingly, our conservation laws have been framed in racism both domestically and internationally, and have basically underwritten genocide across the globe by forcing people off of native lands in defense of the rare, quote-unquote, ecology that somehow has existed with those people for thousands of years, but now we have to save it. So the conclusion really is maybe next time, like, no laws. As the kids say, how about that?
1: You just bring up the cash me outside girl? It's like 10 years old now, I think. Then I'm saying it ironically. I think you just proved to thousands of people that you don't know what irony is. Listen, support my bad
0: ideas so we can talk about modern foraging laws.
1: You're right, Andy. I'm being a bad co-host. Great job. I do have a question, though. How many laws do you think I've broken? Because I, I think we're going to talk about crime this episode, and I'm ready to talk about crime. Crime
0: pays, but botany doesn't. It doesn't. It does not. But yeah, I can imagine. There, I know of at least a few, but you know, that's between you and your rap sheet, buddy. But let's talk about the laws you may or may not have broken. Well, you've actually probably broken, but just never gotten caught doing.
1: I'm fast as fuck, boy.
0: Yeah. So everyone that's listening to this podcast and has foraged, congratulations. You're basically a gangster now with the amount of laws you've broken. Given that foraging has become this new hobby over the last, say, five to 10 years, and it's especially ramped up as COVID has proven that our food system isn't really as resilient as we once thought.
1: And this is a surprising thought. It's exactly as resilient as I thought it would be. And I'm really right about anything. And I think that's the problem.
0: Yeah, it's scary. I'm not going to lie. And what makes this whole thing we're about to talk about fun is the fact that we have so many different layers of governance. Oftentimes, in this case, we'll have complicated and often contradictory rules and regulations around foraging. Not only this, but rules can vary from park to park and from jurisdiction to jurisdiction across the season and even from year to year.
1: Okay, so it's one of those laws like jaywalking, except it's in you know national parks and stuff where if you go and pick fruit or a pine cone or some shit, you could have a park ranger be like, hey, I know you're just hanging out, but that's going to be $500. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, they basically make these laws so when they see people like you do it, they can arrest you.
1: Is that a black joke?
0: It's not a joke, my friend. <laughs> I <laughs> wish it was.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's Laughter has so much pain in it.
0: Yeah. So, for example, let's look at some of these really fun, exciting, and not depressing histories of foraging that are just going to make you want to burn down the White House or something. I don't know. For example, let's look at New York City the bastion of liberal democracy, the New York City Parks Department ordinance prohibits destroying, cutting, or pruning trees or severing or removing plant vegetation. The common interpretation of this ordinance is that quote, foraging is against the law in all New York City parks, including Central Park, end quote. The language of the ordinance is both broad and vague enough that it does not explicitly prohibit picking fruit from trees or plants. However, That doesn't mean they won't arrest you for doing it, though.
1: Yeah, that's a perfectly written law. I don't understand what you're complaining about.
0: Yeah, so unsurprisingly, New York City park officials have long taken a dim view of foragers in city parks. A forager caught in New York City could face fines of up to $250. That said, the city has, in most cases, opted in favor of education and discouraging foragers over issuing fines. But there are exceptions such as the 1986 arrest of Central Park forager Steve Brill. Brill, a New Yorker who went by the moniker Wildman and may or may not be alive because we're talking about something that was 35 years ago, was arrested in a sting operation carried out by city officials.
1: I'm sorry, did you say sting operation? I did, buddy. I'm pretty sure in high school uh, I was learning about like the Gulf War or some shit in 1986, but they had foraging sting operation money back in the 80s. Hang on, bear with me for a minute, because when you said sting operation and this is about foraging, I had this thought pop into my head. Like, could you imagine on the news? They're like, we caught this huge guy foraging like illegal fruit. And then it just pans out and it's just a bunch of fruit on a table. And like you got you got to pay everybody for like a job well done. Dude, I'd be pissed.
0: You see a fucking dozen cops standing there with shotguns, like standing over a table of like blackberries.
1: It's all like wrapped up. And like bundles, like, like evidence, evidence tape on <laughs> yeah. it and shit. Yeah.
0: Yeah, basically. Just think about looking at that and being like, well, the city said there's no more money for the emergency fuel fund, so I guess we can't heat our house this year. Grandma's going to die. Like, yeah, it's fucked. So Brill was arrested. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: No, I was just laughing. It's funny. Yeah, uh, it, it's stupid.
0: <laughs> so Brill was arrested for leading paid foraging towards New York City's Central Park. Brill's crime was described as, end quote, snatching and eating dandelion greens from the meadows of Central Park,
1: end quote. I mean, that's pretty funny. I could see this guy being like, the man doesn't want you to know you don't have to pay for shitty landscaping in Central Park. You can just eat the lawn yourself, man.
0: Yeah, can't have people foraging those, let me check my notes, naturalized non-native grasses that are not only abundant, but often treated like a weed that people want to get rid of. Like, how will the city park survive? Now, the city parks commissioner at the time, Henry Stern, said that he, in quote, couldn't stomach the idea of anyone eating our parks, end quote.
1: So this guy re- literally went into action to like make sure people weren't going to eat his park?
0: Basically, yeah. He's like the world's most boring villain.
1: He sounds like a douchebag.
0: Yeah. And he's totally got a punchable face. Like, I know this shouldn't be a surprise because he was appointed by like Uzi Giuliani himself. So, like of course, he's a piece of garbage. But, uh Elliot, I'm going to show you his face. Look at this fucking face.
1: I mean he's pretty old in this picture, so I don't know if I'd punch him, but I'd definitely make fun of him or something. Let's make fun of him right now.
0: hell, yeah, give me your best shot.
1: uh he looks I'm gonna take this one because you said this one. I still think it's funny. He looks like uh he looks like a guy that thinks Mayo is too spicy. <laughs> I got another one. He looks like he doesn't think he can be a racist because his mailman and his favorite nanny was black.
0: He looks like he still uses the term "the Orient."
1: Holy shit, he does look like he does look like that. It looks like he's saying it right now in this picture.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this pasty piece of shit basically just was a piece of shit. This is the story here. Um, to get back to Brill though, the arrest and subsequent trial was basically like this huge public relations debacle for the Parks Department. It was one of those things like this was like a Trump story before Trump had Trump stories that went international like it made news and was like an international story about like New York City finding and going after foragers. So like, obviously, it wasn't a good look. So ultimately, the city ended up dropping the charges against Brill after he agreed that like he would go to work for them and lead his foraging tours as an employee of the city's park department, which he did for several years. And you know, they got their cut. So they were happy.
1: That's kind of a happy ending to Fucking weird story.
0: I mean, yeah, as good as it can be.
1: Spent a bunch of money going after like 300, like how many people do you think were foraging at the time? I I can't imagine it's over 500 people. Yeah. Maybe it was the 80s. I don't know. I don't know much. You know what? I'm going to retract that previous statement. I'm pretty sure people were eating a lot of stuff they found on the ground in the 80s.
0: Like all I can think of in the 80s in New York City is like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm not going to lie.
1: That's the New York I want to live in.
0: Like, I wonder if April O'Neil got to cover the story. I'm just saying. Think about it.
1: I remember the very first time I went to New York, I saw a rat that was big enough to know Kung Fu. And like, it, it totally made, like, instead of like ruining the fiction of Ninja Turtles, it made that shit so real that I got like, I was drunk as shit. And I, I just got so happy. I was like, dude, the turtles definitely exist. They're definitely fucking real. That's Splinter's cousin. They're partying down there. I know they're <laughs> Splinter's
0: thing. cousin. That's great. So there's there's like a whole family tree going on that we need to know about. There's like a bunch of untold stories we haven't heard.
1: I mean, there's a bunch of rats in New York City, so I'm I'm assuming one of them's got to be Splinter's cousin. I was just throwing it out there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so anyways, despite the fact that New York City hired Brill, didn't really do much to soften the city's stance against foraging. I know, weird, right? For example, in 2015, to bring this to more modern times, Greg Vischer, a Maryland man, was picking raspberries in a county park and was stopped by three police officers and fined $50 for, in quote, destroying slash interfering with plants with berries without a permit on park property, end quote. Vischer appealed the case. A judge dismissed the case after a parks department official was unable to explain either A, in what manner picking a berry destroys or interferes with a plant, or B, whether the permit reference in the citation actually existed. Now, this isn't just something we see in New York City. An elderly man in Chicago was ticketed $75 for, again, picking dandelion greens for a salad in City Park.
1: So, yet again, they're tying up taxpayer dollars and like actual court time over this bullshit. Yeah. Over over this dude trying to make a salad and another dude picking berries.
0: And some dude that uh, got caught with an eighth is sitting waiting for his court date for fucking six months.
1: Right. And the judge- System me- works. The judge, meanwhile, is like, I don't even think this is a law, so like, see you later.
0: <laughs> you don't even have a permit that you're referring to. That is just chef's kiss. That is, that is America in a nutshell.
1: That's how a lawyer makes <laughs> his money, dude. You just grab a piece of construction paper and a crayon and just make the permit right there and be like, here you go, judge. How serious? (laughs) Let's see
0: what he does. Dude. Yeah, so um, point being, like, this is just a clusterfuck, and we're just scratching the surface. Are you suffering from minor irritation,
1: occasional water shortages, infrastructural collapse, or a general unhappiness with the state? The Poor Proles Almanac Patreon might be
0: for you. The Poor Proles Almanac has been shown to ease anxiety and support community resilience through a voluntary, subscription-based system to support collective liberation when taken responsibly. Side effects may include seed hoarding, root cellaring, staring in awe at the beauty of nature, and outright radicalization. In rare cases, it may lead to the radicalization of friends and loved ones and maybe even that guy that stands next to you at the bus stop. So talk to your local deviant to see if the Poor Proles Almanac Patreon is right for you. So let's level up, as the kids say, to the state laws. Did I do that right, Elliot?
1: It's, it's not your worst pun. I do like video games, so I will allow it. You allowed it. I will allow it. King. Yeah, you can have King. this one. Enjoy it. So
0: unsurprisingly, as I bask in my glory, these state laws pertaining to foraging vary wildly. For example, various agencies and municipalities in California, a state that is particularly rich in wild foods, make legal foraging nearly impossible. And if you're a Californian and you're about to say, actually, I'll get there. It's not just this that they make it impossible, but the penalties for violating these laws can be really severe. Now, on the flip side, Alaska's so-called, quote-unquote, subsistence statute, which refers to the, quote non-commercial customary and traditional uses of wild renewable resources by a resident domiciled in a rural area of the state for direct personal or family consumption as food end quote protects the rights of Alaska residents to forage in the state.
1: So they can't they can't is what you're saying.
0: <laughs> so in California they can't in Alaska they can because, you know. In Alaska.
1: Alaska. Okay, so that makes sense cuz Alaska's like a hard I mean, it's probably hard to live up there for more than six months out of the year because of it being where it is latitude-wise. That makes sense, right?
0: They basically are like, don't fucking die, please. We've got snow and bears and we like having people too.
1: Yeah, that's the state motto, can confirm.
0: Yeah, so confusingly, going back to California, many of the cities themselves have super lax laws around foraging. For example, in LA, if a tree grows in a public space, the fruits of it are fair game, while within county parks, the legal code explicitly prohibits picking fruit.
1: So how does one know if a fruit tree is on public space that's not a county-like park? Do they have special maps or something?
0: I mean, maybe. Google, I guess. Actually,
1: actually now they they probably do, I'm I'm sure of it. But before, when these people are looking at these laws like, can I eat?
0: Like, try, try to do this in the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, like, I can only imagine how brutal this was before the internet.
1: I mean, before cameras are over there, I'm pretty sure people were just breaking the law, and, like, if you didn't, somebody didn't see it. <laughs> like it- breaking the law. Yes. Yes, Andy.
0: Yes. <laughs> so that's the point. Like, it's excessively confusing and basically designed so that they can use one of the layers of regulation against you if they don't want you specifically to be foraging on that space
1: or in it. Like I said, so like if they see you doing it, you're, you're fucked because they know you can't pay the fine and shit, even though this law, the judge is going to be if like- If you
0: look homeless, you are a hundred times more likely to get in trouble with this law.
1: Right. They see you eating and you're not supposed to be eating.
0: Fuck that guy. He shouldn't eat. How dare you have food? So yeah, we've just basically touched on state and local laws. We also have a federal code that's not really federal, so it's like about to get way, way more confusing.
1: Oh, that's, that's fine, because I haven't really been paying attention up to this point. I was already confused. So, I mean, let's let's keep it rolling. All right. So,
0: unsurprisingly, national parks have laws that favor white people conservation, meaning, like, no touching. Despite this, Congress has pushed for a completely contradictory policy, which is to encourage the use and enjoyment of national parks and federal lands by the public.
1: Yeah, so they want you to enjoy it and I've been to a couple of parks and stuff and it's like the whole leave no trace behind like don't don't mess with anything.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of like those bars that make you smell the alcohol instead of drinking
1: it. Or like an oxygen bar?
0: Or like forcing you to learn for 13 or so years of your life but it's just basically memorizing propaganda and regurgitating information you'll never need.
1: Been there, buddy. Or how about going on a tour at a chocolate factory? Where instead of free samples, you get murdered by the owner that no one knows, no one who is alive knows what he looks like.
0: Exactly. Everyone knows that movie is a metaphor for state laws and foraging. You know, that's pretty low hanging fruit, Elliot.
1: Okay. Ah. Now that was a pun. That was a fruit pun. And it was your lowest point, Andy.
0: It was my, yeah. I'm
1: I'm taking back your point from earlier. You're fucking even again, bud.
0: (laughs) So I'm starting to think this is a trend in how our government works. Anyways, both of these contradictory policies are reflected in the Organic Act of 1916, which established the National Park Service, or the NPS. The mission of the NPS, housed within the Department of the Interior, is to in quote, promote and regulate the use of the federal areas known as national parks, monuments, and reservations. It continues to say, by such means and measures as conform to the fundamental purpose of the said parks, monuments, and reservations, which purpose is to conserve the scenery and the natural and historic objects and the wildlife therein, and to provide for the enjoyment of the same in such a manner and by such means as will leave them unimpaired for the enjoyment of future generations. End quote.
1: Legalese is such bullshit, for the record. That's the most annoying way to word or say anything.
0: Yes, I agree. That's why they can charge like $300 an hour.
1: I mean, it does it does cover and encompass all. I understand why it's like that, but goddamn, that's... You know what? If it's going to be like that, do it in Latin. Like, fucking impress me or something, you know? <laughs>
0: Fuck it, fuck it, do Aladdin. Fuck it,
1: yeah, yeah. somebody's going to stand up in court, wear a powdered wig, and, like, fucking recite that shit, I'm going to be like, you know what, I'm impressed. I'll pay him fucking $14,000 an hour or whatever the fuck it is. Basically. Anyway, that last sentence, though, I did catch on to that part because I glazed over the rest. So, basically, they're saying, like, enjoy the park, but leave it to be enjoyed by future generations. They're saying, like, don't take more than your share of enjoyment from the land.
0: Yeah, basically. And the question really then is, at what point is the line drawn between taking and excessive taking? Further, in the way it's described, there's really no space for that reciprocal nature we've always been talking about in this podcast, about how people have related with their local ecologies and how the things that they're trying to save here, these these parks, these majestic lands, whatever term you want to use, how those are basically constructed because of human intervention so it's explicitly because of humans that those things exist not in spite of humans so not surprisingly with this in mind the organic act has been basically criticized for generations for its contradictory mandate now any specific intent on the part of congress to address this issue of foraging in the organic act is basically unclear
1: so they don't ever talk about foraging like within the act itself like within any of the language of it itself they do
0: not And what makes this issue more challenging is that our national parks and forests are administered by two different cabinet-level agencies. So we've got your local government, you've got your state government, and now you've got two different agencies that kind of represent the federal side of things. In addition to the NPS, that is the National Park Service, the U.S. Forest Service, which also resides within the Department of Agriculture, administers National Forest Units. While nPS the National Park Service rules typically do not require foragers to obtain a permit, a person interested in foraging say within Mount Hood National Forest, for example, would have to read the Forest Service's complex and detailed fee and permit schedule for in quote harvesting special forest products end quote, within the park. The forest rules also include requirements for permitting age location quantity and other variables what yeah so generally speaking the national park service's default position on foraging on its lands embedded in its regulations is a position of prohibition the relevant nps regulations are codified under a broad section heading and this is a super accessible and something that people when they read it they're like okay this makes sense That section heading is, in quote, preservation of natural, cultural, and archaeological resources, end quote. So, like, if you're skimming through this and, like, English isn't your first language, you're going to pick that up right away. So, there they prohibit possessing, destroying, removing, digging up, or disturbing plants or the parts or products thereof. Additionally, they expressly forbid NPS visitors from foraging for or even possessing wild foods while in the parks, as well as from gathering more than the permissible amount of wild food, from removing wild foods without authorization, from foraging in areas forbidden by the superintendent, or from selling any wild foods. I know, a lot of those were redundant. Now, the fine for possessing, destroying, removing, or disturbing plants or plant products is $100.
1: So this all sounds contradictory, and it's extremely confusing because of the bullshit legalese, but I do want to make one point. It sounds like the National Park Service is there to protect the parks and historical and cultural like places, which is fine. But the whole part of the Forest Service being under the Department of Agriculture leads me to believe that they are admitting that there is food there to be dealt with.
0: Yeah, I I haven't dug into that at all. But it does raise a really weird question of why it would be structured like that. And like in this conversation of like this complicated, contradictory, bullshitty, like regulatory network that's been created around wild foods, we're not even close to done. So there is an exception to all these regulations that we just covered within this uh, national park service. And under this exception, the superintendent of each NPS unit, uh, which are basically the parks, may, in quote, designate certain fruits, berries, or nuts, which may be gathered by hand for personal use or consumption upon a written determination that the gathering or consumption will not adversely affect park wildlife, the reproductive potential of a plant species, or otherwise adversely affect park resources, end quote. So there's all these rules, and basically the superintendent of each park can just say, I don't give a shit about those rules. The rule also authorizes the superintendent to restrict the size, quantity, or location where these wild foods may be foraged and to limit possession and consumption to NPS grounds.
1: I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around all this bullshit. So sometimes you can forage but the rules are based on the Park Service Unit managing the specific spot you're looking to go, which supersedes the state and federal conservation law, but also in contradiction with the Forestry Department regulation over the same piece of land. See, now you're catching on. I'm really not. I'm just reading what you wrote here.
0: (laughs) So the law provides for significant discretion to the superintendent of each park with the basic idea that the superintendent knows if there's a need or how important it is to protect certain species. But this often results in adjacent parks featuring completely different foraging rules with little or no rationale explaining the differences.
1: Yeah. So what could go wrong? It's up for whoever the fuck feels like making the decision on it that day. Exactly.
0: Honestly, that's what I say about like most laws and regulations here in the U S and the thing is these decisions are made on a yearly basis and sometimes even seasonally, and they can vary widely from being able to pick five pounds of mushrooms a day one year to not harvesting any the next.
1: And so that penalty for breaking one of the laws because you're going to either way is usually like that steep fine, right?
0: Yeah. So basically, it only impacts poor people. So if you are not TikTok viral, then fuck you.
1: I'm offended. Um, I'm called the prole now. It's not poor. It's prole. Thank you.
0: Sorry. Sorry. I messed up.
1: You better fucking recognize.
0: (laughs) Proles rule everything around me. Prem. New sticker? Oh, man. You guys want
1: Prem stickers?
0: (laughs) So, yeah, uh, maybe we'll do that. But let's get back to the NPS because we're almost done and we are just going strong on this.
1: Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up.
0: So the NPS doesn't really fuck around, basically, with their arbitrary regulations. So, for example, in October of 91... NPS rangers in Great Smoky Mountain National Park found human footprints near an area that was, in quote, been freshly dug for ginseng, end quote. The next day, a pair of rangers monitored the area and saw the defendants, Burrell and Schuler, carrying sticks of the sort that can be used to harvest a ginseng. Now, after a chase, the rangers found, in quote, 40 ginseng roots sticking out of Burrell's vest pocket, end quote. And honestly, every time I say this, all I can think of is Tyler Burrell, who's the dad from Modern Family. So I just, like, envision him, like, getting roped into doing something very illegal and not realizing it, and it's just fantastic. Burrell, who faced a fine of up to $5,000, claimed that he was harvesting the ginseng on a private property that was just outside the park. A federal court convicted Burrell, holding that regardless of whether or not he had harvested the ginseng roots outside of the boundaries of the national park, the fact that he, in quote, possessed ginseng within the boundaries of the park, end quote, was enough to convict him.
1: <laughs> so they ensnared him in some bullshit law, like one way or the other. So note to self, uh, if I have ginseng and I'm in a national park, I should ditch it like a schedule A. And I'm saying this out loud to seriously remind myself. I don't know why I'd ever have ginseng, but
0: <laughs> so, I'm not paying So I'm going to have to th- train you like Pavlov's dog to like listen to this episode when you go hiking.
1: Yeah, listen to all our episodes and you go hiking.
0: But, I don't know, every time I go hiking, I want to listen to the Wild Foods episode.
1: If I heard one of your puns on the hiking trail, th- something bad would happen.
0: Oh man. I now I want to see it.
1: I'd throw my phone in I'd throw my phone in the woods to like get rid of the podcast and then I'd be in trouble.
0: We're going to do a live on Twitch. I'm going to take you hiking and I want to play this episode and just watch it. If,
1: if we go hiking together, Andy, uh,
0: it's going to be great.
1: I was going to say one of us isn't going to come back, but that's incriminating. Sure. Of
0: course. (laughs) You would never say that. We all know that. So uh, to get back to our buddy Burrell, fortunately, he decided that he was not going to let them do this to him. And he brought this back to court and it was reversed, arguing it was not illegal to merely possess a natural product that happened to be regulated by the NPS within a national park.
1: Yeah, well, I obviously thought it was. So cool.
0: Well, actually, it is, but it isn't. It's a mess.
1: You didn't just do that to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes and no. This it's is cl- the original yes and no.
1: They got to get them in there. Do it legal- The legalese version.
0: Yeah. So the court determined that in quote, mere possession of a natural feature does not violate the regulation. The natural feature must be removed from the park that is physically harvested from park land end quote, in complete defiance of at least some of the laws surrounding these spaces.
1: So even if you do comply by the law, you're breaking another law.
0: Yeah, unless you don't harvest anything ever, which is what the government wants you to do, I guess. So basically, this gives the government unlimited power in deciding who can and can't forage, which, you know, never has racial or class repercussions. And that brings us to today. Now, while foraging has exploded in the last few years, the most obvious commonality across urban and rural foragers is one thing in particular, and it's something that rhymes with pelamin, and it is called... Elliot.
1: Are you looking at... Oh, you're looking at me? Yes. Melanin? Yeah. I have it, you don't. Deal with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot to unpack about that and how that plays into the regulations, as well as the long... History of Unjustified Use of Force Against Marginalized People.
1: Okay, so there's a lot we could talk about around lands that are protected by indigenous people. I think you mentioned that earlier, and I think you've mentioned before how they host more biodiversity than most of the world because they know what the fuck they're doing, I guess.
0: They're integrated into the landscape We're, uh, we're as still to, We're
1: still trying to figure it out.
0: Like, should I allow dandelions to grow in my front yard? Is that going to be like- Am I going to get in trouble with the government for having dandelions? What if I eat them? What if I eat my neighbor's dandelions? I want to get my
1: neighbors to eat them. That would be so funny. Hey, I made you the salads from my lawn.
0: Do it. They're delicious. I I don't have them.
1: Uh, the neighbors to my... Yeah, they might actually enjoy that, actually. I might try that this spring.
0: There you go. The whole point of this episode was to frame up a basic understanding of where we are in terms of wild foods, how we got here, and... How illegal the things you've been doing this whole time are.
1: I just wish there were more free cheese around where we could just grab like snacks and stuff. Who doesn't love snacks? Free snacks, especially.
0: I love that YouTube kid.
1: Snacks. Snacks? Have you seen the Snacks Kid? No. Should we go watch the Snacks Kid now?
0: I'm going to play it right now for you. Hold on. let me Let's get em- Snacks Kid.
1: Let's finish the episode first, guy.
0: No, I'm going to have to pull this audio clip off of the internet so you can hear it.
1: We, we can do that later, though, and post. No, because
0: I want... I need to live hear your response. Hold on.
1: This episode was going to be our quick, shortest episode. <laughs> 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 yes. That's awesome. It's pretty much me when I'm drunk at any time after one in the morning.
0: Yeah. It's good. It's a good one. It's a good one, as the kids say. The kids don't say that.
1: I don't think the Anyways. kids do say that, Andy. Let's end this fucking episode.
0: Yes, so thank you all for listening. Hopefully, you learned a thing or two, and yeah, now you're more thoughtful about what you're doing. That's illegal. And uh,
1: I was just gonna yeah. say, I can't wait to end the episode to encourage everybody to go do some crime, go forward some free food. It'll make yeah. you feel good and fill your tummy up. Be like, uh,
0: be like Elliot, break all of the laws.
1: Not all of them. You got to pick and choose. Like this one's totally fine. I'm I'm letting you know it's fine. Tell them. Tell them Elliot said it's fine. I'll come into court with your permit. It will be in construction paper and crayon.
0: He'll he'll have his uh, I'm the black friend card ready to go for you. Not doing that. Make, make all the white people feel uncomfortable.
1: I will have your foraging permit, though. <laughs> I will have that.
0: Yeah. All right, guys. This has been great. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.